welcome to JP Morgan TV. This is the last version of this for this year, 2021. So, woohoo! Joe, I haven't introduced you yet. You're not allowed to make any sounds. That's just background. With me this noises. week is Joe Lupton. Now you can make whatever sounds you want. And happy holiday and new year to everyone. We'll hopefully pick this up in the new year. Uh, but we've got a lot of stuff to go over here. There was an interesting week from central banks. There's an interesting week in data. There's interesting week in uh, COVID space as well. So let's, um, I guess let's start with the central banks. Um, we got tightening from the Bank of England, Norges Bank. I'm going to leave the EM central banks to the side here. They're just continuing to tighten. So they were perhaps not as newsworthy, but the DM central banks, let me, let me throw out the hypothesis, Joe, that central banks are moving fast, but not signaling that they've got much to do here. Uh, everybody's accelerating in some ways their uh, normalization process, uh, but nobody's really pushing hard on the idea that what we've seen on inflation, what we've seen in labor market tightening really requires them to do all that much. Um, so what do you make of that? in terms of the signaling we're getting. And don't give me your, uh, maybe, your criticism that Bal wasn't clear. I want to go down that road. Okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll hold myself back on that, Bruce. Uh, look, I, I think they started, uh, I, I would characterize as they started a bit earlier, but yeah, they're signaling that, you're, you're right, that there isn't a lot to do, right? I mean, it, you, the, certainly the Fed was the one that stood out the most in a Yes, they nudged up the dots, but boy, I mean, you know, not really even getting back to neutral by 2024 in a world where it feels like things are overheating is is a, uh, pretty surprising. And, and frankly, I said I wasn't going to talk about the Powell press conference, but for, for a guy that seemed really freaked out about inflation, uh, you know, the SEP does not show it. I, I thought there was a big disconnect between what Powell expressed and what the SEP showed. And, and frankly, I think the markets are exhibiting some of that uncertainty about what to look at. It was a bit of like a Rorschach test. Well, I think the markets are pretty consistent, at least in the pricing of the Fed, with the message that the Fed doesn't have that much to do. I mean, in a sense, we continue to have this tension between um, what is embedded in the market and what is embedded in the SEP, which is that this time is the same, that you don't need much Fed and you'll get inflation back to 2% and that, um, you know, 10-year yields will not have to price much much inflation risk in the picture. And our view that there is something that's changed, that there is a different macro environment. It's more reflationary. It's healthier on the growth side. And as a result of that, we're going to need to see a Fed that's going to have to move more forcefully. Now, to be fair, uh, it's far more important to the first step than where they talk to you about 23 and 24. And we're getting, um, you know, guidance that they're going to move three times next year and possibly even more. The uh, idea that March is, uh, you know, is a live meeting has been raised uh, um, by uh, Governor Waller and some others. So we have to deal with the, the near term pressure that's more important. Uh, that said, um, you know, we also have a story here about growth beginning to show signs of maybe softening into the new year. Uh, the PMI was an important release. The COVID news is of some significance. How would you piece that together as we look at uh, what is to come as we turn into the new year? Um, 
I think it's if you look at the, the, the data flow, you'd feel like it's consistent with our call. And we've been talking about it in these these videos for the past few weeks. And I continue to see that information. Although I will say, I mean, that the consumer is showing some signs of um, uh, maybe kind of losing some momentum into into year end. And that's a little bit of a concern. And coming ahead of the, a real big potential threat here of the of the virus, I, I we've been talking about this all week. I mean, I, I just feel like things should be taken down in the first quarter uh, more than what we've already done. We, you, you always point out we have a big deceleration put into our forecast, but I would argue you know, part of that was already built in and based on some other, other factors. Uh, you know, I feel like the, the, the COVID threat is getting big enough now, uh, it, certainly in Europe, and now you're just beginning it in the U.S., um, and my guess is you're gonna you're gonna see softer numbers than what we have written down for the for the first quarter. So I'd say the risks are definitely skewed to the downside. I still feel comfortable once we once we get out of this, but it's not going to be a a couple weeks or a few weeks of things getting hot and then they get better. I think it's going to be something more like you know probably getting into March before you start to feel better, and then that sets you up for a very strong rest rest of the year. Well, I think there's two issues here. One is to what degree do we get hit by the Omicron wave uh, or some broader sense of COVID drags? And then the second is, is that simply a redistribution of growth from the early part of the year into the middle? So you're, you're But that will be a call. You su you're suggesting we get hit harder, but we don't actually end up any differently as we make our way later in the year. Yeah, that's a call. And by the way, Bruce, I mean, just to tie it together, I mean, central banks are going to have to be doing the same calculus. And it does, you know, this notion of, of maybe moving in March, while right now we can look at it and say, yeah, that's an interesting and it's kind of fun parlor conversation to talk about that. I think as we move through what is a very clear and present threat to the near term outlook, that discussion is going to get easily kind of wiped out. Well, that will depend. I mean, I think in a sense, we have to recognize what we do have built into the forecast. So we actually do have a fairly sharp slowing in the U.S. and, and softness in Europe continuing, both economies growing less than 3% in the first quarter of the year. Uh, you're laughing because- There you, used to be a time when that was considered fairly strong. <laughs> no, I, I realize that, but in both both economies, we are, we are in COVID recovery time, and therefore the- uh, the dynamics on growth need to be viewed somewhat somewhat differently. But your point is taken. Those are not outright weak numbers. Um, and uh, I think another big issue here is we raised our China GDP forecast this week on the back of what was decent uh, November data, but momentum that had been building as we looked over October, November. Um, but there is the threat that China, with its zero tolerance policy, uh, could get hit even harder um, by, by COVID if the variant does Yeah, I mean, spread. right now, we've not really done anything to Asia. The threat of this kind of, I don't know what wave you want to call it, that has been building in Europe, which has been started as continued Delta, but is now Omicron. I think that is not really present in most places, other than maybe Korea, um, you know, where cases are rising there. Everywhere else, cases are, are, are slowing. Um, I, I just think that's going to turn around. And then the, the, the tolerance issue. Um, and that's a problem because I think 
what really set in motion a lot of the the, the difficulties through the middle part of this year was the, the the COVID cases building in Asia at the top of the the, the supply chain, and that really kind of sends shockwaves through town as you move down the value added chain, and you know that you know, suggest maybe and we've been having this debate, Bruce, I know you'll take the other side of it, but maybe you do get another bout of kind of good sector inflation uh, in a world where the demand conditions are once again shifting back to goods and away from services if people are sitting at home and kind of buying things rather than um, uh, going out to restaurants and so forth. But um, yeah, I, will, I will take the other side of that. I think you're going to have more of a hit to services here in a world in which I think we've done a better job uh, thinking about how to keep uh, factories moving. And I think fundamentally, this is a world in which the pressures that hit us in the summer reflected the buildup of developments that happened through the first half of last year, uh, this year, I'm already switching years on us, um, in terms of that surge in demand. And I think um, we're working through some of those. And that's a good segue to what the last thing I want to talk about here, which is what's happening in the auto industry, which does seem to be gathering some pretty nice steam here as we move towards the latter part of the year. So let's talk to that. Yeah, I think you're going to like a part of the, the, the conversation, but there are some anecdotes that cuts against what you're trying to express there. So uh, at least up through some of the October and, and November data, um, you know, things look very strong is, is relative. From a growth rate perspective, they're, they're strong. You're getting kind of 5 10%, 12%, 15% increases in auto production. Obviously, in a world where auto, you know, auto production absolutely collapsed through the you know middle part of the year, we still have a, a, a way to go to recover. But that's happening, and and you hear the stories of kind of supply chains reconnecting. Uh, auto producers' schedules are looking very good. So that would that's the part where I said you you probably like that. You do hear these are just kind of anecdotes right now, but you do hear some auto producers like some of those in Japan where. The on-paper production schedules look strong, and I think we're hanging our head on that. But if you read the news flow, you get some major auto producers that are already talking about dialing back some some production, um, either because they're still having difficulties getting um, uh, getting parts, or because uh, you know potential concerns around COVID. Uh, either way, we're, we're definitely not out of the woods. We have a new headwind coming from the, the, the wintertime shock here. And I, I think that will disrupt the, the supply side of, of manufacturing uh, enough that it could potentially uh, you know, be inflationary. I don't want to belabor that point. That's a debate you and I have been having. But nonetheless, um, uh, I think we're not out of the woods on it. Well, let's end on this note. We have a forecast for basically global GDP growth and global CPI inflation to move to three and a half percent in the first quarter. Are you you want to you want to argue for the downside on growth and the upside on inflation relative to those two? Yeah. So uh, on growth, yes. Uh, and then on inflation, you know, yeah, I, I don't you know, you and I, as I said, keep saying we're we're having this debate. I, I, can't, I don't have as much confidence in that, but I would take the side of this could be more inflationary on the good side, right? I mean, you, 
now you're starting to. No, I know, but I'm going to cut you off. You, you've got it's it's a layup to say that energy prices are going to come off, right? Energy prices will come off. Headline will come down. Okay, (laughs) enough of this. Anyway, it's time for us to say goodbye. Wish everyone a happy new year, and hope we can continue this conversation next year. Bruce, can I just say, I think we should go out singing the song that the Fed is singing, which is, I'm dreaming of a soft landing. (laughs) No, no. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Happy holidays, everyone.